Welcome, everyone, to another candidate forum edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. <laughs> right. This week is the 7th District. So we're rolling right along. We're real excited. And we're going to start off, we're going to kick it off with the school board this time. We have our lovely guest this week that we always enjoy having because she's fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Introduce yourself. All right. Thank you so very much for having me this afternoon. I always enjoy spending time with you all, and I do appreciate what you do in support of our our city and our children in particular. So I'm humbled to be here this afternoon, and I thank you so very much for the invitation. My name is Cheryl L. Burke. I represent the 7th District on Richmond Public Schools School Board, and I also currently serve as the vice chair. This is my second election. I was appointed in 2017, ran for the seat in 2018, and decided to run again for re-election because there's still work to be done, and I'm thankful to be a part of that change and that opportunity to move forward. And you're running unopposed. How's that feel? Absolutely awesome, number one, being that running for election is a lot. It's, it's, It's a lot in terms of, so now by not having an opponent, I can spend that time. I'm still um, out there as much as I possibly can be and doing things in terms of wanting to be um, representative uh, representative of my district. So I'm still out there letting folks know I'm running and having a couple of events. And But it's different with, with COVID in place because I can't knock on doors. So I'm spending time at grocery stores and um, sometimes I'll, I'll join the, I was joining the school buses as they went from area to area to deliver food and also going to, let's say, to Fulton to a particular neighborhood and just standing there in a the parking lot and letting folks know that I was there. But um, it, so it feels great. The challenging part, as you know, in running for a seat, it's a lot of work. You have to be out there. You have to be in it. But because of COVID, it's, it's taken a spin. So now I can spend that time on bringing about the change in this era of change rather than spending that time at length with concentrating on the election, the re-election piece. So I'm mm-hmm. thankful not to have an opponent. I'm really, really, really thankful. And I, I think spiritually, it's a gift because it allows me to do what I need to do in terms of getting right to the point of things. It's not your first involvement with RPS. Why don't you give our listeners a little background on your history with RPS and all the different spaces and places and, you know, your history with RPS for those of, those of them who may not know. I um, was hired by Richmond Public Schools in 1976. And I worked as a preschool teacher at Clock Springs Elementary School in the West End, Oregon Hill area. From there, I went to Overby Shepherd in Highland Park and taught, and then went back to Oregon Hill to be a fourth grade teacher. And that was a great um, change. That's when VCU was rebuilding that area, and a lot of the houses and all were, were um, vacated and torn down. But of course, houses are in those areas now. So I went from teaching from teaching preschool to fourth grade level. So I looped. From there, I also um, got my master's, finished my master's at VCU in supervision administration. I started out with my master's in reading, but my principal 
sort of leadership style within. So I was given many opportunities. From there, I went again to Park Elementary as a specialist, teacher specialist, which was um, my position was to work with teachers and also to help to develop curriculum and also to monitor that. From there, I was appointed in 1996 to be the principal of Shimarazo Elementary School. And I stayed there until 2000. 14 when I retired. Being mindful that we moved to Churchill one block from the school two years before I was appointed as principal. And um, I stayed there for 18 years. We went from being one of the lowest performing schools in the state of Virginia to one of the top. We spent a lot of time with the reform model, the um, school development program out of Yale University, where every teacher, parent, administrator, we were all trained to bring about change, not to blame anyone, not to um, belittle, but to move forward collectively. And it helped our school tremendously to reach those gains and therefore to become fully accredited by state measures. Attendance went up. We, we provided so much for our students. Also, one of the peak promises there was I took 57 parents, teachers, custodians, cafeteria workers, volunteers to the Bahamas for professional development. And that was in 2005 free. And that was, yeah, that was not knowing years later, we would be the first and only international baccalaureate IB primary years program in the, for elementary level in the metro area. So um, quite a legacy, quite a lot of work, but truly a labor of love. But it was all done through community partnerships and support. No one can do everything by himself or herself. So I was very, very, very blessed that's one of my strengths. Come join us because we're going to take it to the next level. Well, it seems like school board was the next level for you. It seemed like the, the natural progression for you after all of those years in RPS. Congrats again, because, you know, it'll be you again for, for four years, which will be great. But what are your plans? Do you have some plans for the upcoming four years that you'd like to share? Is there anything that you think really needs some improvement? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, everything that I promised, we did get done. Um, number one, with the new building in the East End on um, M Street, M and 28th Street, to replace the old George Mason Elementary, the new building, Henry L. Marsh III. I am so elated about that. And that had been on my mind as I was a principal at Shimarazo because that was always conversation about that's, that, that school is so, the old building is so beyond repair. I mean, it was, it's over a hundred years old. So lots, lots have not been updated. And when I'm looking at building as well, I think about where I want my children to be. I think about where I want my children to be. So it's, I'm very excited about that. We've also had new rooftops put on buildings, new water fountains, new floors. We've cleaned up bathrooms, bliss. I visit my school. There are seven schools of which I am responsible and I visit them often. So when I walk in, the children know me. When I see that when I'm in the grocery store, They'll look at me like, you come someplace else besides school? But um, that was the main main piece. Also, um, the technology piece. As you know, we have Richmond Public Schools thus far because of COVID, we're getting, delivering, or giving. We've all, So far, we've given out 16,000 Chromebooks and about 6,000 hotspots. The superintendent, however, would like every student to have the same Chromebook, same technology. So we're going to continue with that effort. So I did promise we did update many buildings in terms of um, the Wi-Fi piece, but now we've had to turn a different direction. And I'm glad that every student will have that opportunity to learn virtually since we've um, discussed that. Deep partnerships with families and schools, 
We've continued with that. That's been a strength, the ultimate backpack through VCU. Last year we gave, that's something that I started with Timmy Wynn, who is on a trustee at VCU. He's also a volunteer at Shimmerau Zone. We started about 10 years ago, before I retired in 2014, giving students supplies, but we just did that for Shimmerau Or then um, when I got on the board, we just did the seventh district. But last year, through the support of so many businesses, we gave, gave out over 14,000 backpacks filled with everything from middle school students received gift cards to Chick-fil-A as well as tissues, um, rulers, everything you would need. So this year, our effort, this is our third citywide for Richmond Public Schools and other small groups, um, nonprofits in the area. Our goal is to have 15,000 PPE kits. We, we have five re reusable um, masks, hand sanitizer, toothpaste, toothbrushes, and then plus we're going to have the drive for the um, ultimate backpack at the Diamond, Richmond Diamond on Alpha Ash Boulevard on August the 26th from two to seven. So our plan is to have at least 20,000 backpacks and that will be whatever we do not get, then Richmond Public Schools will make up the difference so that when Richmond Public Schools gives out their kits for our students, our children will receive all that they need to be successful at home with the virtual. So that's, that's a biggie, that's one of my big projects and one of which I love. So that's, if you have time to be out there on August 26th and want to bring some school supplies, it's going to be socially distanced and the whole C, um, CIS is a part, in partnership, UPS, Walmart, um, Cold Star is our biggest supporter. I don't want to leave anyone out, but there are, I'll send you, if you'd like, I'll send you the flyer. There are about 20 um, partnerships, but this all came about through VCU, our partnership. And I'm a VCU alum as well as I stated. Moving forward, number one, I really, 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 this is something that's been on my list. I have three things. Number one is to step up the, the to, to have a rigorous curriculum. And we are implementing that in language arts and math. We do have a new curriculum for that. Being said that we have not had an updated curriculum in the past seven years. So it's, this, was, this was past due. With my background as an educator, we can't always do what we did 10 years ago, five years ago, we have to keep up with what's, what's going on and also prepare our students for that and give our teachers what they need. I'm elated that um, we're going to teach Real Richmond as an elective for our, our students in high school, which will give the, this came about before COVID and before the social unrest, didn't know all that was happening, but it's so evident that we want children to be respectful of each other's cultures, but we don't know our history. It's not taught. It's not a part of the SOLs. And what better place in the city of Richmond to learn about who was here, who is here, how did things come about? So one thing I would like to see is that beyond high school level, that we would also come into the elementary level as well and teach the real deal. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King is not the only black person, he and President Obama, all right? And I have all the respect for both of them, all the respect, okay? My grandmother was one of those persons that had the picture in her, in the basement, Dr. King. Uh, you, you're shaking your head, man, okay, all right. You know the, you know the yep. stuff from that. Me too. <laughs> the whole nine yards. So I look forward to our children having that opportunity. So curriculum-wise, that's what's on my mind. The second item is the mental health piece. I know when we come back from the um, pandemic, we're gonna need 
we already needed in the communities and a lot of parents they depend on i've been doing some zooms through some nonprofits. in fact i have two scheduled for the end of the month to just just hear from people and a lot's going on so some children don't fully understand what's going on. An organization that I'm in, we mentor since they were sixth graders, and these young ladies now are rising seniors. It's the Richmond Links Incorporated. And just to spend time with the girls through Zoom and what they're going through, just listening to them, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. There are a lot of adjustments to be made. So I'm just so thankful that we're in a position in the city of Richmond that we can supply every all children are privy to the meals that are given. You know, it's not a handout. It's been paid for. So that's what I share as well. It's okay to go there and pick up the meals or whatever, but also with the mental health, we're going to need, we're going to need that support. I have one former student who's a high school student right now that texted me, Ms. Burke, I have COVID. So yes, I did go to her house, but no, I did not go inside. I just knocked on the door and left or something. But my point with that is, is it's an adjustment. So number one, the curriculum. Number two, the mental health piece. And number three, we must continue to provide a, a, an environment that is supportive, that is nurturing, that is culturally balanced. So that's outside looking in. And of course, always every board member wants the budget to be balanced and we, we always need more money. So I've been out to every rally there is and then some regarding asking the General Assembly or whatever else, we're on it. I mean, I know that plight having been a teacher as well. There's never enough. In thinking about your district and what uh, encompasses some of the challenges that may be different for your district versus another district, what specifically do you have in mind for improvements? And they could be COVID-related, they could be just non-COVID-related. How do you plan in this next term to tackle, one, what is that challenge, and how do you plan to tackle that for your kids in the 7th district? All right. Number one, as you well know, in the east end of the city of Richmond, we have about every challenge there is to be had within an urban setting. And I've always known that. I've always known that. So when I think in terms of COVID or non-COVID, when our children are families are depending upon the schools, many of our children, that's their safe haven. That's their nurturing spot. That's their routine. That's their schedule. A lot of them who didn't think they would miss school, miss school now. Parents as well. So number one, um, my seventh district folk, keeping it real. I don't want any child to, number one, as I stated, but this is one reason why I've continued with this ultimate backpack. I don't want any child to come to school without his or her supplies. And that's something that we did when I was at Shimarazo. I used to get this cold, what was it? Um, oh, it's Price Club when I first started out. But I made sure 800 children, everybody had backpacks. We had companies to give us. I didn't want anyone to lose time in the classroom. I don't have a pencil. I don't have this. So I want to make sure our children have what they need to have and that they don't have to wonder, where is, where, where is my pencil? Where is that? Oh, I'm embarrassed I don't have that. I want them to have their supplies. Number two, I want to make sure that a lot of our students, I think now about the virtual piece. Let's say you have seven or eight children in your in your small housing, having that space to call your own to complete your studies. So I'm so thankful that there is an organization that's providing desks for students. as a GoFundMe account that's providing desks for students. So the superintendent is putting that out to so any child that needs to have their space. And there's some students I've talked with in the community, oh, I, I have the bed, or I have the floor by the living room door, 
oh, I'm going to be at the kitchen table. Then there are some, I may have to go down the street to Miss Eva's house, okay, to have that space to work together. So that's a biggie with me. I want to make sure that as we move forward, that attendance is in place, that they have a place to complete their studies. We must take attendance, but um, also to make sure that they keep up. And I'm going to do my best on my end. We have quite a few students now. We don't know where they are. We don't know where they are. So between now, as I talked to each mm-hmm. principal last week, between now and the 1st of um, September, because some have gone to other areas to live with other family members, but just to make sure we, we are accounted for, yeah. have been accountable for each child. So safety, the virtual learning piece, the protection of having that, that space to call your own, as much as I can possibly do with that. And I am working with some area churches as well that have volunteered to be in support of that. And also some nonprofits that virtually will be, but whatever we do, um, I believe in small pods, five to eight children. Other than that, that's why I also stood strong on not opening the schools. No, 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 absolutely not. I'm very pleased that our board decided to uh, first semester totally, and hopefully second semester will be in a better position. But I'm not in favor of that. I stood strong with that. I've seen how things that we can calm and down and, and regard can spread through a setting. Because we're huggers. You know, teachers are huggers. We're huggers and fist bumps and all the rest. So yeah. it's, it's, I'm glad that we have that setting of staying close and uh, in place. Yeah, y'all acted pretty fast on that, I have to say. Um, it was a good call. What did you say? What did you say? What did you say? Yes. Y'all really, yeah, y'all acted fast on that, and it was a good yes. call. Way yes. faster than surrounding school districts. Uh, yes. Led the way on the virtual learning for at least this first semester, and so bravo yes. on that. Uh-huh. Thank um, you. And before we go, I know that uh, right now, you know, you, you're always really involved with the parents and the children and everything. And Richmond is going through a major movement right now. Big changes are happening. How do you discuss that with your families, with the children? Um, and how is it affecting you? When you say Richmond is going through major changes, you're speaking of the social unrest? Or- the social unrest. The fact that, like you mentioned before, that Richmond doesn't teach its own history in school. And now folks are getting a history lesson. Yes. And so how has all of that affected you and the way you interact with um, your, your teachers, with your families and their students? Yes. Well, number one, I've been to a couple of rallies. I, um, in fact, one was right in, we live on Broad Street. So one was right in front of our house for children, the rally that took place for children. And that was well attended, well attended. I did the one on Alpha Ash Boulevard. I've been to the monuments. When the uprising came about on Broad Street near City Hall, that hit me hard. I stood on the side of the street of First and Broad, and I, I cried. I really just, just because I also had a reflections upon my childhood and the 70s. So it's, it's, I'm reliving. So I remind children, and oftentimes some people would have a problem with um, when I was sharing when I did work every day about some things that I had experienced and why I thought and moved the way I did and tried to be inclusive. It's like, huh? But now they see it. Now they see it. So it's, it's really, I'm, I'm very proud of the students that I have interacted with and that their parents have brought them out to see and be a part of what's going on and also to explain to them why it's, it's going on. But also in my neighborhoods in the East End, 
We have situations that happen every day. We have situations that happen every day. You know, I would always know when, when I would read the obituaries or hear something on the news, it may be somebody's cousin, sister, brother, but I could always connect with, with the family per se. But what do I tell them? To have faith, to have hope. Will there ever be a more perfect union? Probably not in my lifetime, but it's overdue for us to do better than what we have done. And together we can make this happen. Just finished watching the movie Harriet, which I have a hard time watching. But I think we all have that energy of Moses within us to bring about change. So either you're part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And that's what I choose to do. And that's what I speak. I'm going to be very upfront, very direct, very direct. And children, children know the difference. They do know the difference. Our parents as well. So the job situation and whatever else right now, we're just trying to help families out. So persons who were working and to need support with their families, we're working through that. And um, on Monday night's meeting, tomorrow night's meeting, we're going to discuss that at length because the city's made some proposals as well. So what do I tell them? To have faith, have hope, and to stay, stay in the spirit of it must be better. I have my first grandchild. She'll be five, six months next Sunday. And I want to. I want to see her. Grandma. I want to, and I love her. I'm so thankful. I can't. COVID hasn't allowed us to do as many things together as we'd like, but I'm very grateful when we do. And I want a better world for her. It's better than each generation is supposed to be better. So I'm excited. I am. Don't get me started on the political part. I'm. I'm. I'm excited across the board. I'm excited. Speaking of better, there's something behind you. Can you tell us about what's behind you? Oh, I'd love to. Um, this is this was a Sunday in July when my husband and I came in one evening. A beautiful floral arrangement from someone's yard with this note was right at the front door. And I was like, what? So it lists, thank you, Mrs. Burke, for making RPS better. From better. Sophie and Katie. Can you see it? So yeah. there's a little happy face at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And it's take two of these. I see it. So let me share this with you. Every morning, they live on the other side of the street, not across in front of my house, closer to um, the park, to Libby Park. So they walk down my street every morning, the two girls, for the past, one I believe is going to, Katie's going to first or second, and Sophie's going to preschool. So I remember when the baby was in the stroller. So every morning... Time to go to school. I would look out the window. Same time we'd get up and look out. I would see them walking to school. So, of course, I wanted to go. I would just look for them every day. So, dad or mom or dad and mom or other children as well. And I used to do that as principal, walk with the children to school in the morning. So, that brought back memories. So, that's how we really connected. And I believe we really connected before I ran for school board. So, um, whenever I see them in the neighborhood, you know, we always blow kisses or whatever else. But I am so, I'm keeping that. It's on my social media page. I love it. I love it. I love it. Mm. So that's a keepsake. When children tell you you're doing something right, that means a lot. That yeah. means a lot. So it's, it's, it's a treasure. And I, I do have that. quite a few that's been saved, but that's, tell everybody to send me more cards. I love them. Positive. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, thank, thank you for all that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today, talking about your vision mm-hmm. for the next four years and I have to say, I think your your district's lucky to have you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all. Continue to do all that you're doing because you're making a difference in our community. And I thank you sincerely for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
Council section of this week's seventh district candidate forum. Yay! Yay! Air hugs, social distance air hugs. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yes. Well, we're really excited about our guests. We're always excited about guests, but you know, this is this is really cool. And I think this is one of our guests' first time on the show. It is, yes. Yes, yes. yes. So we're gonna take let everybody, of course, as always, introduce yourselves. Welcome back, of course, to our current city council president. Well, thank you. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be back with you all and to be in studio. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I've been charged with uh, <laughs> providing uh, brief remarks. And so my name is Cynthia Newbill, and I have the honor and privilege of uh, serving a community that I grew up in, lived in, and worked in. I grew up in uh, the Wickham Court public housing community. I attended Richmond Public Schools, so Wickham Elementary, which is no longer there. Uh, Mosby, which is now Martin Luther King, the new and improved iteration. Yep. And my old high school, Armstrong High School, is now the grounds for a major housing uh, effort in terms of transforming Creighton Court public housing community. I uh, completed my undergrad and grad work in New York, SUNY Stony Brook, Stony Brook, Long Island, New York, and completed my doctorate here at VCU uh, in 2010 um, in public policy concentration in health policy. I I have uh, worked uh, in a variety of settings. I've had the pleasure of working in nonprofit settings, local, uh, regional, and national. Uh, I'm coming back home in 1996, actually, from Atlanta, working as executive director of the National Black Women's Health Project. I've worked with local government, so the East District Center administrator at one point, and chief of staff to uh, the city manager, Dr. Jameson, before we had the change in local government. I uh, had the honor and privilege of working for Dr. Grace Harris with the VCU uh, uh, Grace Harris Leadership Institute and uh, currently uh, work with the Richmond Memorial Health Foundation uh, as a, a senior advisor to the president relative to special projects. And as you've mentioned, I'm currently uh, uh, the city council representative for the 7th district and currently serving as the president of city council. This is my third term. And um, again, I, it's just an honor and a privilege to serve in a community uh, that I am just absolutely committed to working collaboratively to improve outcomes for it and the city overall. Yes, so um, my name is Joseph Rogers. Um, I have been in the community uh, in the 7th District ever since I moved to Richmond. Um, so it's not as long, it's uh, 2016. But I gotta tell you, it's been incredible. Every single year living in the city and in the East End has just brought me closer and closer to it. And it's also interesting to me because um, I recently discovered that I had uh, an unknown, heretofore unknown connection with that part of the district, that part of the city anyway, um, through my ancestor, James Apostle Fields, who was my great, 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 great grandfather. Um, uh, now, he had a, it, there's a long story behind that, and I won't get into it all right now, but um, needless to say, 
during the American Civil War, James, he had actually uh, fled a plantation that he was kept on in Hanover County and made his way down to Richmond and stayed with his brother. But upon his recapture uh, here and subsequent uh, attempt to take him back to that that farm in Hanover, he was held in the, the jails down mm. in Richmond. Oh. Um, so the jails for the enslaved was where he was held until the overseer could come and get him. And so, you know, our my roots in Richmond run deep um, and it's it feels to me like it's a calling, right? That just that kind of ancestral root just brings me back to this place because I've tried living in other parts of the city and <laughs> it's just not the same. Yeah. It is nothing is like the seventh district. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so it's it's great to be a part of the seventh district community. Um, I have uh, been I currently work at the American Civil War Museum uh, as the education programs manager there. So I oversee all of the offerings for uh, the museum and there to the youth, to families and to educators. Uh, so I'm tied very closely to educators and to uh, to the youth of the, the Commonwealth, but also the city especially. In fact, um, uh, it, it's a great honor to be able to, to do that kind of thing uh, and make outreach to Richmond Public Schools, uh, work with uh, uh, Masiyahu Israel, uh, who in working with the social studies uh, curriculum, it's doing incredible work there. Um, also, I've worked with Dr. Newbill uh, as we have gone through the uh, East End Music Festival every single year that we've done that. Uh, I came in a year late, but uh, we, every year since we've been working together on it, uh, working and watching these these kids do incredible things. Um, and I also work as an organizer. Um, it's my volunteer work is as an organizer with the Virginia Defenders for Freedom, Justice and Equality, uh, who long held and long fought that uh, the fight to properly memorialize Shaco Bottom uh, in the form of the Shaco Bottom Memorial Park uh, fought the baseball stadium uh, project, and you know it's it's been a number of incredible projects working with them, uh, with Anna Edwards, with Phil Willado. Uh, I, I just feel incredibly honored to be part of the community in that respect as well. Cynthia, yes. Why should residents of the Seventh reelect you, and uh, maybe talk a little bit about your major accomplishments? I would. Uh, uh, offer that over the uh, the years that I've worked in the district, um, was elected in 2009, took office in 2010. Um, I have been able to work collaboratively and collectively with the major stakeholders, and so that's the mayor, that's council, that's the school board. Those would be uh, businesses and philanthropy, and nonprofits, elected officials. Uh, at the state and other levels, uh, civic and community leaders, faith leaders, and residents of our community to address a variety of challenges. And so because of those efforts, um, um, I think that folks would agree that um, proven leadership that's gotten results and continue to do so, um, an ability to work collaboratively again, co collaboratively and collectively. Um, I'll just, uh, just in terms of a few areas, we have partnered, and I'll start with where we are with the pandemic and COVID. Partnered with the fire department, the Richmond City Health District, and other city agencies to make sure that we get PPEs out to the community, starting with the most vulnerable population. We have done, and I've done, uh, with the fire department and other volunteers, door-to-door -door distribution of PPEs to all six of our seniors 
senior facilities to all of our public housing communities in the district to other communities in our district as well. Uh, worked with the health district to just make sure that we had testing in our community. So we've had it from the Power Chance Center to uh, Creighton uh, Court area right off of Nine Mile Road to MLK, uh, worked to um, secure funding, both city fund, secure and support city funding, both from our administration in terms of family assistance resources, uh, and Robbins Foundation also put some dollars towards that to assist our families who've been impacted in terms of COVID and certainly the resulting unemployment and health, et cetera. Um, the eviction, uh, working to support the extension of eviction uh, diversion, um, I co-authored uh, a letter with the mayor that went to one of our judges, and as you know, um, our governor has extended that through the 7th. Now, we still have work to do because this is still upon us. We um, have uh, CARES funding, and I certainly supported that additional $14 million to go to provide mortgage and rental and other kinds of assistance that's operated through our Office of Community Wealth Building. Um, with the uh, prior to uh, COVID, partnered with the Richmond City Health District. Um, because we've had too many dying too early and too often from preventable and or treatable health conditions, and that disparity has shown up in terms of the disproportionate mortality rates with COVID, was able to work with and get funding such that the Richmond City Health District has opened a resource center in all six of our public housing communities, took a housing unit offline and provided uh, from health screenings to checkups and other kinds of information uh, throughout the community. The VCU Health Hub certainly at 25th supported that coming. And again, all of this is to bring service to the community to reduce the barriers, transportation, and other kinds of issues that may get in the way to ease of access of health care. When you have a uh, uh, life expectancy rate of 20-year difference from Gilpin to five uh, miles out or right in our center, 16 to 17 years out, then it requires you coming doing some something extra to make it more um, available. We have uh, the Robinson Theater supported them providing health and wellness um, activity there. Uh, Bontecour, Sarah Garland Jones Center, another source, again, bringing to the community. Um, one of the things I, I think uh, working, and this again, the power of working with community, Bank of America closed its branch on Williamsburg Road. Remember that? Yeah. We got them. We collect to donate that building, and one of the nonprofits held it. Now, the community wanted a financial instance, so we tried to get a, 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 a credit union kind of thing, but they also had a plan whereby they wanted to have a medical center. So, and because at the outset I listened to what is it that you want, both in terms of the broader community and Fulton, and they came up with a plan, it was very easy then to move, look at our list, and worked with Capital Area Health Network such that that there's a medical center there. Um, work with Capillary Health Network to reopen the Vernon J. Harris Health Clinic on 25th Street, which had closed for a while, and working because that's a city-owned building and working through all of that to make sure that we could get that open. So in terms of health and wellness and health care, those are some of the things we've worked on. In terms of education, um, advocated and supported uh, funding for our schools such that we have three new schools coming online uh, this year, one in the East End, Henry L. Marsh Elementary School 
It looks wonderful, folks. If you haven't been by, you got to go by there. Um, worked with, um, because of the schools moving to virtual instruction, worked to raise money to help purchase Chromebooks so that our kids could have access to te uh, technology. Supported uh, J. Sergeant Reynolds, uh, <laughs> the kitchens at Reynolds, um, located right in our community. And, and that by itself would be that excellent, but to have a shuttle that will go from there to the main campus mm -hmm. so our families and our youth can access the full offering. Um, I'll just skip some. Um, in terms of housing, <laughs> I mean, I Welcome to our forums, friends. <laughs> supported the establishment of the city's affordable housing trust fund to establish quality affordable housing in our community. We need about 10,000 unit quality affordable housing. And that's, so one level of that is rental, but also readying our families for home ownership. Um, Maggie Walker Land Trust to create affordable housing in perpetuity as our community changes, tax waivers for elderly and the disabled as our community changes, gentrification and assessments go up, making sure Ms. Jones can stay in the community mm -hmm. uh, was, was critical. Um, we, uh, at the General Assembly level, did last year and was not successful, we'll do um, advocate for inclusionary zoning. So every development has a, a component of affordable housing. Right now, we're you know working with each other. With transportation, um, certainly supported the Pulse, but the critical piece for me with the Pulse was making sure that every place it stopped in our district, there was connectivity down to that Pulse that quickly got our families out and accessing uh, resources in terms of how, in terms of employment, how any number of things that they uh, would be looking to uh, support the office community wealth building as an anti-poverty initiative. Supported that as established uh, uh, agency within the city, and then supported the location of it to the East District Center because of the amount of poverty and unemployment in our community. Again, bringing that resource directly to the community so it's easily accessible. So they've been uh, in the center since 2018, um, seniors, uh, annual fair for seniors. We want to make sure that the gift of uh, extended life is not a burden of old age. And so that one-stop shop, they come in and it's folks, how, what are the things that make sure that they can, the quality of their living is excellent. So they, um, whether it's smoke detectors or how do I sign up for meals on wheel, et cetera, et cetera. So I have a... <laughs> We gotta keep going. She's like I have twelve pages. <laughs> All of these I, things, I, man. I, I know. I literally went by your notes, and I tried to be yes. really brief. She's like, I have it all. Well, no, I don't have it all. <laughs> She's like, I don't have it all. I have. I so didn't even many. get to mention what Joseph, in terms of uh, the Easter Music Festival, for the last four years. Yeah. That we've raised uh, over four hundred thousand dollars to purchase musical See? instruments and supplies for our and arts for the kids in the East End. And so that by itself, just to have a musical instrument is pretty phenomenal, yes. but the impact on academic performance is yep. major. And yep. so um, just it, just to talk a bit about um, our phenomenal historical inventory, which mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Rogers raised and, and the fact, and I certainly support us uh, unearthing fully from the museum to the slave trail to the memorial park to the burial ground in a way that truly tells the story of our history in not just the East End 7th District, not just the city of Richmond, not just the Commonwealth of Virginia, but in this country and in this 
in this nation, in this world, because it's that kind of history when you talk about over four centuries and then the experience here in Richmond. So excited about that. Have supported more recently um, statue removal as directed by the General Assembly, mm -hmm. and so we're proceeding with that process. Council approved that and will uh, adhere to the guidelines and now receiving um, uh, proposals and recommendations for what then should happen with those uh, statues. Um, certainly city infrastructure um, issues, sidewalks, gotten funding each year to go with that. One of the things, and, and I'll talk about this a little later, that came up as a result of the pandemic put a light on some things that were in plain view all the time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, that we really have tried to ignore. And so the social determinants of health, that, okay, why do you have such despair? Because there are issues here in mm -hmm. terms of health, housing, employment, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, same thing when our we went to virtual for schools um, and like, uh, oops, we don't have access, which we should have for every single child. Not anyway. Sure. Period. Mm -hmm. And then even once you talk about the technology in terms of a Chromebook or a computer, mm -hmm. internet accessibility. Mm -hmm. So we still have some deserts that we're having. And so for mm -hmm. me, working with partners to make sure that we have that kind of access throughout our city mm -hmm. is really critical. I will, um, I'll just stop there. <laughs> No, I don't know. You know. When I looked at it, and because it's, it's a lot, I really yeah. looked at what it says. What have you done for the seventh district over the past years? But the question is, what have I been able to do working collaboratively and collectively? Uh -huh. And when you do that kind of work, it's a you know. So you've yeah. done a lot. You've yes. done a lot, a lot. Well, I mean, I want to be clear. It is not just Cynthia doing a lot. Right. No, it's it's, it's it how working have you worked collaboratively. Yeah. yeah. No, seriously, this is yeah. heavy lifting. It's it's, an, it's critical work, um, yeah. but it takes all of us leading in. And yeah, because you can't do it by yourself. Exactly. You know, one of the other things I think <laughs> is really, in terms of legislation, one of the things that I supported with city council was uh, uh, to earmark 57% of the annual real estate taxes for education. That's mm -hmm. important for me, that we have an ongoing source and sources yeah. um, in addition to the meals, et cetera. And so looking forward to making sure that every one of our children have opportunity to have access to state-of-the-art physical, academic offerings in, our community, in this community and that they have an opportunity to go on mm -hmm. um, college and training and or career, that those options are there for every one of them, not some, for all. So, so I'll put a pen there. Well, Joseph, let's, let's, let's give you a, a, a moment and... Um... <laughs> We, we just heard a litany of things that have been happening, right, in the seventh. Shifting now to what has now made you decide to look at some of the things that she's talked about, some of the things that have been going on in the seventh. What has made you decide that you wanted to run for this position? And what do you think that you bring to the table that would either, you know, be an addition to those things or um, or maybe be different? Yeah, no. I So I appreciate the, the opportunity. To, to really get to talk about that because honestly, I didn't think that I would be running for city council mm -hmm. ever, let alone this year especially. Um, but it was on June 3rd, I believe was the day, um, after 
the uprisings had really gotten into their fullest swings. We had seen, we had seen so much damage um, to property that came from the outpouring of frustration and anguish uh, that people had been experiencing forever. Um, it was in that moment that I realized that we had the opportunity to make some changes that were necessary. Um, this is after you start seeing the uh, the monuments uh, having been targeted and as becoming those spaces where people are rallying, where people are um, saying, this is one of the symbols. This is one of the things that we've been demanding to be something to be done with this entire time. And that outwelling of, of frustration and anguish, um, it became apparent to me that we needed to do something more proactive. We needed to take action that was going to be deliberate and that was going to be that was going to be not just in response to things that were happening, but that was going to be moving forward and progressive, really. Um, in 2017 is when I started and when I joined up with the, uh, the Virginia Defenders for Freedom, Justice and Equality. Mm -hmm. One of the first projects I worked on with them was surrounding the monuments, was about the removal of the monuments, was about supporting the resolution that was put forward by Dr. Jones on city council in order to make sure that those that to even simply ask for the permission. General Assembly yeah. for the permission to do something about them. And I remember that first vote, um, it was ner I was nervous because it was my first time standing up in front of council. Um, and I was, uh, I don't even know if I was shaking or anything, but I remember reading from this piece of paper and then my time was up. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's nothing you can do about that. You can only give your testimony and hope that the word gets through. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, that first vote, it didn't it didn't go through. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, even the second vote in 2018, after the Monument Avenue Commission had made their recommendations, the second vote didn't go through. Mm -hmm. It did take the third vote and the third time for it to actually get through um, and for those voices to be heard. And um, during those times, you know, we were repeatedly uh, confronted by members of, of organizations and groups of people who referred to themselves as the new Confederate States of America. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were faced down by people who were armed while we were unarmed. Um, mm -hmm. We had these kinds of, of interactions, but we always tried to make it positive. You know, we always tried to put to present what was the truth over what was false and uh, historical fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and we did that together as a group of people. Uh, we brought people from the community. We brought in clergy members to have a rally at the Lee Monument, uh, which we called the Rally Against Racism. Um, and it seems timely now uh, to think back to 2018 when we did that mm -hmm. rally uh, to hear all those voices and hear them repeating some of the same things that we were saying uh, that we're hearing now. Mm -hmm being said then two years ago. And that's also true of the case of Marcus David Peters. Um, when he was killed in 2018, uh, we got together with Princess Blanding and we, we listened, we talked, we heard, we gave her space to just to lead. You know, we, we got people together and she took off with it. Princess Blanding, Marcus David Peters' sister, um, 
has been a leader and a champion in this fight for the Marcus Alert, for the Civilian Review Board. Um, and it has been incredible to just be a part of the team that created that platform um, and then to continue to be a part of the team that's helping shape legislation now. In fact, Princess and I, uh, along with Nick DeSilva, have actually been working very closely with Delegate Jeff Bourne, uh, with Senator McClellan, uh, on what the Marcus Alert bill will look like. Um, I know the day that we're recording this is going to be the different than the day we're releasing it, but special session is on. Mm -hmm. And one of the bills that is in special in the Senate bill um, that should be dropping the, the number soon, but the House Bill 5043 um, is the bill that we helped get the text right for. Mm -hmm. uh, we worked very closely with the delegate and the legislative aides to make sure that it addressed everything that we were talking about back in 2018 mm -hmm. and making sure that it's put into state law so that no one has to worry about being uh, killed while having a mental health crisis. And I think that that's an important one to bring up too, because I truly do believe that Richmond leads the way. And I think that the things that we do in the city of Richmond have an effect on the outside counties, have an effect on the Commonwealth of Virginia, and Virginia has historically had an effect on the entire country. Mm -hmm. So when we say Richmond leads the way, things like Marcus Alert, it makes me think about if we had taken those kinds of actions to implement a Marcus Alert in 2018, um, we wouldn't have necessarily the kind of deaths that we see uh, from a wellness check that happened in 2019 uh, when Miss Gay uh, ultimately ended up being uh, killed by the police in Henrico County. Uh, so those are things that are important to me and things that we're uh, running on playing campaign platforms that we've, we've talked about because they're ones that we have together as a community and in discussions with one another talked about and demanded um, for the last two, three years. Uh, and that has been my passion of my volunteer work, but it's also a part of my professional work in that what I do at the American Civil War Museum is in part digging up the stories of untold voices and making sure that they're brought to the fore. The American Civil War Museum, we have been active in making sure that the narrative of the Civil War is not simply um, one side versus the other, North versus South, uh, and then slavery somehow ends automatically, right? It's much more complicated and much more nuanced than that. It requires us to understand the elements of black liberation, which were at the fore and pushing for abolition that convinced people to take up these charges. And we're talking about taking those voices and making them whole and making giving them that platform. And so I echo uh, Dr. Newbill's sentiments about this isn't something that we can get done alone. Alone. Mm -hmm. This is something that we do together, but it's something that we have to speak up about and something that we have to be proactive on and progressive with. I, yeah, you, you kind of uh, almost kind of answered the next piece of my question. That other like yeah. part two that was going to wrap into that? It kind of, you yeah. kind of did it psychically anyway, I so know. that's great. That was kind of good, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway so that you can still kind of finish it. You work at the American Civil War Museum, as you mentioned earlier. How has that shaped your your outlook on Richmond and how you plan to, if, if elected, choose to govern it or uh, serve your district or, you know, how would that shape your leadership over the seventh? Yeah. So I think that it's really interesting being a historian um, and looking at this moment, right? Uh, because 
if you understand your history, you can see the moments that are going to shape it and you can really actively uh, participate in it in ways that can that will create a positive outcome. And so my work at the museum and seeing how in this in that particular moment, the American Civil War, which is a, a linchpin, and I know I work for the museum, so it might be seen as something like, oh, well, of course he would say that about the American Civil War. But if we look at the Civil War, we can see a time when the country literally broke apart and then was reformed with new values and increased uh, include like increase uh, the franchise. And so the course of the American Civil War and into the Reconstruction era informs us how we can reshape the country to be a better and more inclusive place. And in that same sense, it tells us how we can reshape the city of Richmond to be a better and more inclusive place. Uh, there were times during that Reconstruction period uh, in which you have the lots of black leadership that's coming up, uh, even in the, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, yes. Uh, with the rewriting yeah. of the Constitution, um, in 18, which took effect in 18, uh, 1870. However, you also see it just in the city itself. Uh, you see black black city officials, right? Absolutely. You start to see that kind of power, that kind of shifting away from this uh, white elite that created a city that became the second largest hub for the domestic slave trade, uh, and through which 25, it's estimated that 25% of African Americans Americans in the country today can trace their lineage through the city of Richmond. Mm -hmm. Myself, as I mentioned before, included. Yeah. Richmond became something different after the Civil War and as a result of the Civil War. And so that helps me inform how I would take action in, in the city because it's about making sure that history is, is understood as we move forward. You were wanted to say something too. Yeah, I um, and I think this was more of the quite platform mm -hmm. uh, the next time around, what what would I be looking? Mm -hmm, yeah, and so what I shared with you is uh, just the beginning of a list of things across housing, transportation, employment, education, uh, economic, workforce, etc. But also, what I shared for me are a lot of transactions in response to major challenges in our community. What I'm interested in over this next term is moving from transactions to transformation. Mm -hmm. In February, prior to um, uh, COVID, I uh, was a patron on a paper to um, have a, a comprehensive third-party equity analysis conducted for our city such that we could develop an equity agenda and impact and improve outcomes across the city, including uh, training of staff, et cetera. Um, equity, and for me, it is about fairness. It is not about sameness, using subpar results and trying to, uh, that's, that's not what I'm interested in. Uh, when systems and structures are broken, the improvement benefits everybody. And so creating an equity agenda mm -hmm. for our city that drives policies, that drives programs, that drives funding becomes critical uh, from my perspective. And so that also focuses in terms of ending racial disparities. Again, the pandemic showed a light on a major 
uh, disparity across um, African-American and Latino populations when you look at the disproportionate mortality rates. But digging in uh, at the city government level, looking at fairness in hiring promotions, great opportunities for jobs, contracting, living wage, um, equitable, and, and getting to a point where we're talking about equitable services for all. I think this is not easy work, but until we develop a equity, racial equity agenda for this community that drives policies, procedures, programs, and funding mm -hmm. in this community, we're not going to um, get to the desired place of all tides. Rise. We're not going to get it. I mean, I, I think that almost should apply to, to the whole city. I'm talking about the entire city. Okay. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. It's not the district. This is the entire, that's the, the whole the entire city, city. And coming up with a equity, racial equity agenda such yeah. that um, racial and social justice mm -hmm. issues are addressed and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and confronted boldly, courageously. Mm -hmm. You know, we have some things that work well. We have some things that don't work so well. Mm -hmm. um, and um, my commitment over this next term is working with folks who are committed. It will require infrastructure at the city level mm -hmm. um, to really undertake this effort. It will require authentic, substantive community engagement mm -hmm. throughout the process uh, at all levels, all departments, staff, etc., and partners. And so I'm looking forward to uh, that effort over the next few years, that we move from transactions to tra uh, transformation. That, And let me give you an example. So every time a development comes before Council, I'm okay. How much affordable housing? How much MBE do you have? How many jobs on the front and the back? That should be a given that that's automatic, that you know we're going to have 30 or 40 percent. We know jobs are automatic, you know, though, because we're looking at and using an equity lens across the entirety of our community. Yeah. So that's the work. And it's a heavy lift, but it's going to be the most valuable investment of all of our efforts over the next uh, four or more years to get to the place where we have a, a city and that we improve our city uh, services re for all residents. I feel like every candidate needs to be running on a platform of working towards racial equity in the city. Uh -huh. um, I think if they're not, then <coughs> wrong game. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I appreciate yep. that it's being explicitly stated here, you know, because we we have been <laughs> we've been demanding it for years. We've been hoping for it for years. And it's good to hear that it's 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 finally that this time is coming that we can see that this equity lens is going to be applied. Just to bring it back to a seventh district right. focus real quick. Are there any major issues that maybe you've identified in the seventh that still need some improvement, something that you would like to Absolutely. work on? Absolutely. While uh, we've made great project, for example, we still have food deserts mm -hmm. in our city and in our the broader community. And we've made extraordinary, we were able to retain the market on Main Street when the, you know, the ownership changed and it was considering moving. We have an extraordinary model, the market at 25th, that's a mission, you know, driven entity to not only improve physical health and well-being, but economic health and well-being because it also employs residents and impacts on employees 
employment, but also need uh, to look at having uh, a market in Fulton, the greater Fulton community. And for me, when we're looking strategically, the profit margin is so low that not only when we have conversation about a market coming to full service market to Fulton that we talk about the north side and the south side at the same time and talk about how that response, even though it's emanating from the seventh, can be beneficial across the city footprint and in potentially even the region. But there, there are opportunities um, and uh, more strategic uh, efforts that can be undertaken to address the challenges before our community. So from food deserts to housing, quality affordable housing across the city footprint. We need 10,000 units, mm-hmm. you know. And then to how do we move from just, and not just, because getting that will be a major accomplishment to also home ownership, wealth building in our community. We are talking about the transformation of our public housing communities. And so the first phase of that is uh, with our Creighton Court public housing community, and there's development um, at the Armstrong Renaissance. Um, and it's not complete yet, but that movement uh, is happening. The other part of that is making sure that residents aren't displaced, that there's uh, opportunity for one-for-one placement of resident residents have choices, some on that footprint, some on Creighton when it's redeveloped, and some in any other development, that there is no loss for mm-hmm. our residents. Um, and that, you know, I often say the plaster is going to be fine. This is about people. And it's about engaging people. It's about the quality of what we provide for people, and whether it's housing, employment, health, etc. Um, and so, so, again, so those are some the food desert, the housing component, internet accessibility across our city footprint and having that discussion. So uh, to make sure that as our youth and our families who are um, trying to work for home can easily access the internet. Uh, the education, um, I don't know when we get to the new normal, but when we get back there, we'll have state of the art. All of our children, every single one of them. Good luck to everyone taking virtual yes. classes. This yes. Um, and so I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll put a pen there. I do did want to reference some legislation that's come out of um, recent um, activity in our community. So the protests at the murder, uh, in response to the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and all before and after our Black Lives Matter movement, I uh, absolutely support the right to protest and to bring forth the concerns and challenges in our community. The uh, what's also come in terms of um, uh, rioting and violence and destruction, that is not something that I support, but I absolutely support the voices of BLM and the things that have come forth and attribute in a large extent to them some of the recent city council legislation that's passed. And so we recently passed Citizen Review Board, uh, um, the Marcus Peters Alert, um, and have worked with um, our chief such that there will be a review of um, a really analysis and comparative review and budgetary recommendations from RPD. I will have those towards the, it will, it'll be in October. So the letter came to council very specifically. And while that's the first place we start looking, the equity study presses us to look across the organization similarly, policies, procedures, uh, with an eye toward change, reform, any terms of budgetary um, modifications that are necessary or reallocation. So 
that, and that's where moving towards the equity agenda, you can figure, okay, that came out of some of that effort, but um, those are um, strategies that we un need to undertake as a part of the equity uh, review and analysis and establishment of a racial equity agenda for the city as well. How have the social movements and city administrations and police responses affected your policy goals and plans for the future, if elected? Yeah, no, I think that that's a, a very good question. And it's probably the one that draws the most distinction between myself and, and uh, Dr. Newville, um, because, you know, I have a deep-seated respect for everything that has been done by council on the efforts to address these, uh, the social justice issues. But my concern comes from the fact that we had brought these up before, um, that they're not new issues. And when we look at the social justice movements that are happening, it isn't that one person was killed this one time. It's that many people have died over the years, over the decades, and over generations, and that we've seen an action in response to them. And that's that's the part that, that really drives me to this place right now. We wouldn't have to ask for a Marcus alert if we had taken action in 2018. We wouldn't have to ask for a civilian review board this year um, if we had taken action in 2018. We wouldn't have to be asking for the monuments to come down. We wouldn't have a rallying place for, for that upwelling of rage um, had they had been addressed in 2017 or even in 2007 when the Def Virginia Defender uh, most recently res uh, resuscitated the discussion around the monuments after the $400,000 that were spent by the state to clean the Lee Monument for his 200th birthday. Those are all the kinds of things that we need to be proactive on because, and I'm, I'm not one to often quote Dr. King because I find that it's often overdone, but a riot is the language of the unheard. And what we need to do is to start hearing and listening to people before we get to the point where the city is on fire. And when we do that, we can negate those kinds of things that we saw. I would love to not see property be damaged, but most importantly, I would love to see black bodies and black lives valued to show that they matter first. And so I think that that's, that has informed my policies and my positions surrounding specifically the Richmond Police Department, um, who we have seen over the course of three police chiefs now, I guess, uh, four if you count uh, Chief Durham back in 2018, but most recently over this past been an excessive use of force against protesters who are out trying to say, you know, black lives matter, um, the use of tear gas, chemical weapons. And I know that there's, you know, we have health concerns. During a global pandemic, tear gas is being used. It's a respiratory pandemic. I mean, people aren't able to breathe. I had to, I carried someone out of a cloud of, of, uh, of tear gas and of spray um, on that first night. And, you know, I was, I was terrified. In many ways, I was terrified because this person is now coughing in my face. I thankfully had a mask on, but my eyes weren't protected. And I had to, I've taken so many COVID tests now, uh, you, you would not believe. So we were talking about those nasal swabs earlier. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, thankfully I have come up negative each time. But these are the things that are the kinds of force that's being used against people who are simply demanding black lives to matter. And it's, it's ebbed, it's gone up and then it's gone down and uh, then it's gone back up or then it's reinvented itself. Um, but what it really comes down to is are we going to trust the police department to police itself? 
So I think with the implementation of the Civilian Review Board, I think that's us saying we don't trust the police to police themselves. Mm -hmm. So if we ask them to also take a look at their own budget and tell them, tell us what they think they should cut, I don't think that's going to work. I think that we should be the ones actively requesting, actively looking at the police budget to demand what doesn't need to be a burden of our officers. What do they simply not need at all? I, I don't particularly understand why we need to spend more than half a million dollars on uh, uh, the, the mounted unit. Um, I think that that ultimately seems like a dog and pony show, right? Um, when we could be putting those funds towards things like our, our public libraries, our infrastructure. Um, I think that those those are the kinds of things that we need to reevaluate from that equitable that equitable justice lens. What do the police need to do? Where do they need to be involved? And where don't they? And do they need to be involved in these situations? I think the Marcus Alert actually is a great example of that. We have officers who do wellness checks, and then the wellness checks end up resulting in the death of the person on whom they were supposed to be checking. So there needs we need to rethink how we do any of this, how we approach community safety. And I believe, and this is the platform upon which I am running, that that comes by divesting from the police departments in general. And once we do that, we can build the communities of care that we need that don't involve people with weapons coming to actually help you, that actually invests in the uh, in the infrastructure of mental health from the beginning, that talks about how we actually build up our communities? How do we protect our public housing infrastructure as well? Um, how do we make sure that we aren't just giving people vouchers and saying, go fend on your own? When if I look at Zillow right now, I'm going to tell you that there's going to be about, I don't know, half a dozen of the, or a good percentage of the, of the houses that are on there are going to say no Section 8 allowed. We have to make sure that we are committing ourselves to the people of the city of Richmond and that we are doing so in a way that rises all of Richmond up together. And we do that by understanding, this is the platform that I'm running on, we do that by understanding what keeps us down in order to bring us up. I would just like to uh, say for me coming in to the seat um, that my focus has been on the health. How do we build a healthier community? Health for me is not just merely the absence of illness, active promotion, mental, physical, emotional, economic, et cetera, wellness and well-being. And we focused in many ways on that. Uh, those the various areas, so housing, transport, et cetera. The place at which I arrive at this point in terms of really developing an equity agenda, a racial equity agenda for our city, forces us to look at not just police, not just public safety, but every single component of our local governmental system, every single one, and looking at policies, procedures, programs, budgetary allocation, and how are they being deployed to have an equity lens that causes and allows opportunity for all citizens, all, not some, to have the standard of living a life that we're all looking for, whether that's get public safety experience, whether that's housing experience, whether that's educational, all of it. And there's not a, you know, we're so used to the win-lose. I'm aiming for the win-win for every citizen, for every 
young person, for every adult. There are a host of things, whether it's mental health services. I mean, we have a legislative packet going across to the General Assembly, but also within the city. How are we directing our resources, again, whether that's within the police department or otherwise, but to look at all of it and to look at it in a way that is intentional, comprehensive, that engages and involves uh, community, stakeholders, and with the third party uh, external review of these uh, these elements as well. And um, again, it's not, uh, so, so it's not something that will be easy work. Uh, many of these components that are coming up, many of us have focused on, but from different angles. But uh, I think all of us have had the well-being of the districts we represent and the city we represent at the forefront in terms of the work. Well, so this will be our last question to wrap. I want to make sure that you both get the opportunity to say anything that you haven't said, because your messaging is important. Your folks who are voting for you need to know who you are. If there's anything that we've missed asking you, whatever, if there's something you really, just a message you want to get out there in these last moments, go ahead and do that. You know, we want uh, your folks to hear your authentic self. But but time-wise... <laughs> I'm going to give you each three minutes. Yeah, well, I, you know, I've, I've been standing in front of council for this period of time, given the exact same time frame. So I appreciate the three minute clock. Yeah, um, we're going to go with that. Um, so I will say that, you know, the platform that I'm running on is really built on two different things, uh, two very important things. That's justice and democracy. Um, one of the things that we have been hearing during our canvases, and I've been getting this feedback a lot from, is that people want to continue to hear from what's about what's going on in the city. And a lot of what's happening right now is that they're feeling that they're not, um, they're feeling that they aren't hearing the voices that they need to hear from. And so it's going to be about an intentional inclusion of uh, people and meeting people where they are, which is a, a very large museum principle is meeting people where they are, is knowing that it is our job to go out, right? And our job to be in those spaces and in community with, uh, with folks, even with the people that we don't always agree with, uh, but to make sure that we're hearing and listening to them to represent that point per, as, as specifically as possible. And so we also talk about justice and making sure that we are uplifting the voices of the unheard um, in the Shakobata Memorial Park proposal that was put together uh, years ago now and thankfully seems to be starting to be adopted um, by uh, city council, the current mayor, uh, and other spaces. Um, we're talking about making sure that the historical inaccuracies are not uh, continuing to be the, the story of Richmond, that the actual true and full story is there. And then we're talking about using those two lenses of democracy and of justice to equitably address issues of, of learning uh, surrounding our public schools, making sure that our uh, actually that we are having fewer police officers in schools and more counselors in schools because how we're actually going to address the issues of the school-to-prison pipeline is not by having more resource officers there, but instead having the counselors there who can address those issues as the children are having them. And as our futures are being shaped, they need to be in the actual schools themselves. We also need to make sure that those folks who are there are protected through collective bargaining rights, which the city council has the opportunity and ability to, to allow right now. We can do these things to make sure that our bus drivers, our lunch ladies, our, uh, our lunch people, 
let's be let's be frank here. We have a lot of folks involved in that. But our lunch people, our, our bus drivers, our school counselors, our nurses and our teachers all have the protection and knowing that their jobs are secure and can demand the things that we need or that they need in order to keep our children and our future secure. And we are talking about making sure that we are keeping uh, the ability for our seniors to age in place, protecting our spaces from uh, from people who really wanted to exploit it. Um, I'm going to mention very briefly the 10 year tax abatement actually starves our schools and actually then creates a problem for being able to properly fund and protect the people that we were just talking about. And I'm going to put a pen in it right there because I can feel that three minute timer starting to ding. Right? That's, that's what I'm going to do. With the rest of it, you can go on to joseph47.com. Uh, that's J O S E P H, the number four, and then spelled out seven S E V E N.com. See our platform, sign up to, to join us. Uh, again, thank you for the opportunity. Over the time that I've, again, had the honor and pleasure of serving in the 7th District, I have consistently listened to the community. When I first started in 2010, we had a community conversation for me to hear what is it that you envision for and would like to see um, your representative work collectively with you to address. Those things um, we have worked on, many of them, they're not complete. Um, health, healthcare and wellness, uh, education, housing, transportation, uh, employment options and opportunities, um, environmental issues, and built both physical and built environment, um, whether it was bike walk or parks, um, we've had some progress. Our history uh, and um, how it is that we unearth and tell that full story. Certainly uh, public safety infrastructure, all of the areas that I've mentioned are areas that the community has said, we need better housing. We need better resourcing, we need better schools. Uh, we want you to work on that. But in this period of working collectively and collaboratively, I've also heard and I've seen very clearly, even more so, again, with the pandemic shining some light on things that we knew were there, but certainly increasing a sense of urgency to really look at developing a racial equity agenda for the city that drives all of our work and all of our efforts to ensure that all of our residents have access to the best of services, not some, but from an equitable, from an equity lens, as opposed to just simply looking at equality. Mm. It's, you know, and there's a difference, but applying an equity lens so that we have a full racial and social justice agenda across every domain uh, of uh, service uh, in our city and in our community and committed to working with the citizens to that end, with the stakeholders to that end, uh, with all of the collaborative partners to that end. It's not gonna be easy, but it is going to be the most worthy endeavor we'll have the opportunity to participate in. And we'll be able to build on uh, uh, many of the successes we've accomplished to move those to the next place. So we're getting out of transactions and talking about real transformation. Three minutes on the dot. Mm -hmm.
Die. <laughs> it was. It was exactly. How did you do that? I tried. Both of you guys are wizards. I, so thanks y'all so yes, much for sharing your platforms with us, your hopes and dreams for governing the city of Richmond. Yes. Good luck to both of you. Yes, please. Good luck. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Yes. To have you both. So Richmond, you know what time it is. Flint still has dirty water and now so does New Jersey. And I'm kind of thinking Richmond might have it too because y'all out here wilding. But it's okay. We'll figure it out. RPS was fully funded last year, but we're going to need that times to infinity and beyond to get us past the situation we're dealing with right now. So let's get cracking on that. Good luck to the students that are currently heading back. Uh, college students were moving in this past week. So wear your mask, go to class and properly social distance if you can. Um, and if you can't, try to anyway. Thank you very much. And we know it. Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you next week. Give